0: Hello and welcome to episode five of the Royal Meteorological Society podcast. My name is Richard, I'm the digital lead here at the Royal Meteorological Society.
1: And I'm Liz Bentley, Chief Executive here at the Royal Met Society.
0: So we're looking back at, still looking, looking back at Weather Live, the event that we ran uh, at the weekend.
1: Yep, Weather Live, um, a one-day event that we're going to run annually, um, took place in London uh, this year on the 4th of November up at Central Hall, Westminster. And it was an opportunity really to look at some different elements of where the weather, weather impacts on things. So the first session, for example, was on weather and photography. Our middle session was taking a look back at the, the Great Storm of 1987. Um, which obviously we're celebrating the 30th anniversary this year and the final session was on weather and gardening and we've been doing a lot of work with the RHS over recent months so it was an opportunity to really focus on some of the activities we've been doing together
0: Yeah, this was really interesting for me I mean, I I know nothing about gardening but it was really interesting listening to them talk and sort of discovering the scope of what they do and, and also the kind of really in-depth knowledge that they have that's right so,
1: so we had eleanor webster who has been involved with putting together a report for the rhs over the last 12 months or so called gardening in a changing climate it was launched in london in april but over the last few months we've been working with the rhs about how we get the messages out from this report and we were up at chats within the summer and we've got some events which i'll talk about at the end of this podcast we've got some events running next year but we also had rob brett who is a Curator from Hyde Hall, based in Essex, one of the RHS venues. Uh, and again, just thinking about how um, he needs to think about um, adapting the gardens, an RHS garden, because of how the climate is changing, things that he's already noticing with you know the changes in in weather patterns, in in rainfall patterns and so forth. So really interesting talk. And and that we also had a presentation, not part of this podcast, but from a designer, an RHS award winning designer called uh, Arit Anderson. And and she gave a fascinating talk. So I would encourage you to go and have a look at her talk on the website, on the Royal Met Society's website. And I'll give you a bit more information about that after the podcast.
0: Session three at today's Weather Live was the RHS session, the Royal Horticultural Society. And we have uh, two people from the RHS. We have Dr. Eleanor Webster, who is an environmental climate scientist. And we have Robert Brett who's the curator of the RHS garden at Hyde Hall Essex so thanks very much for joining us today I know you're you're both looking forward to talking later on this afternoon so maybe we can just briefly touch on what your individual talks are about so if Eleanor if you'd like to go first
2: so my talk is about a recent RHS report called gardening a changing climate which was launched in April of this year the report outlines um, how the UK climate has been changing and it also looks at how this might have implications for flowering time, um, garden design, and pest and diseases as well. So my talk today is going to cover some of those things. It's going to look at what gardeners can actually do to help with climate change adaptation, for example, to alleviate urban flooding and things like that. Um, So I'm going to give, hopefully, give the delegates some good ideas about what they could do when they get home um, to help with the greater good, essentially.
0: Okay, so what sort of things have gardeners seen over the last... I don't know, what, what sort of a time frame we're talking about in terms of climate change the last 10, 20, 30 um, years? Yes, yeah, so
2: uh, this report looks specifically at the last decade. Uh, that's because there was a report in 2002, and this is a follow-up, although it's 15 years later. But since then, um, the understanding of how climate how climate change will affect us is is, is much more detailed. Um, back then, it was sort of saying it will be a Mediterranean climate, so we'll be planting, you know, dry gardens, lavenders, things like that. Um, But actually the reality is lots of more frequent and intense extreme events, that means um, rainfall falling all at once and not very often. Um, So actually it won't be drier necessarily, but the water will all fall at once. So what people have been noticing is in line with that really, so it is a longer growing season because of rising temperatures, but it's also um, damaged their garden from heavy rainfall or strong winds. mixture of people noticing earlier flowering um, but also later flowering because of late frosts uh, and so there's, there's a whole mixture but generally the trends point to rising temperatures and difficulties in managing excess water
0: so if we have any uh, keen gardeners listening what sort of things can they do to well first understand what what changes they might be seeing that they're not aware of and then what they can do in future to sort of future-proof their gardens
2: uh, Well there are um, several things you can do and a lot of it depends on whereabouts exactly you are because some parts of the country for example um essex and the southeast will be very dry and very warm whereas northern areas of the uk will be also be warm but uh, probably a bit wetter um so humidity might be a consideration up there but in general one thing people can do is to plant um as much as they can because anything green is actively taking carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and putting it into the soil um, where it's much better than it being in the atmosphere. Um, So that's one thing people can do. Um, Another thing is to reduce their use of reliance on chemicals because the way that nitrogen is, is produced so that it's available to plants because naturally nitrogen is in a very unavailable form It's a very energy rich process called the Harbour Bosch process, which requires a lot of energy and has a large carbon footprint. So if we can use natural fertilizers, that's one way that we can also help to reduce carbon dioxide emissions in the atmosphere. Um, Another thing is to um, reduce the use of peat in horticulture. Peatlands are very important to uh, to carb- they're, they're an enormous natural carbon store, and um, harvesting them for horticulture is, is not particularly sustainable. It can take up to uh, a thousand years for one centimeter of peat to form. So the fact that we're harvesting it at the rate we are means that um, there's no way that it can recover already. Never mind the fact we're still doing it. So to do avoiding use of peat is is particularly important. But um, one another thing is as well as um, water storage because. We're continuing to build um, in urban areas with all this excess rain it has got to go somewhere. So if all of us are having hard landscaping, the rain is only going to sit on top of that hard landscaping. Whereas if we have large water butts, for example, or permeable surfaces, which means the water can run into the ground, that's much um that, that, that's much wiser choice um, for the community in general to reduce urban flooding Um large water butts are really good because they can also supply your water for what is probably going to be inevitable hose pipe bands coming in the next few years in the southeast so okay. thinking about water storage as well
0: so is that blanket um, hose pipe bands throughout the year No, or? well,
2: it's still um, the water companies are working really hard to work out what how we can manage um, in in the long run. But certainly in the southeast of England, uh, it's likely to be, if not a ban, certainly restriction on the use of water for recreational purposes.
0: Okay. So we've spoken a little bit about what um, you know, general gardeners can do, but obviously, Robert, you're coming at it more from a professional perspective and, and managing a much larger garden. So.
3: Yeah, that's right. I mean, um, so my garden or the garden that I work under is uh, Hyde Hall. It's 365 acres in total. Um, But it sits very much in one of the driest regions of the country um, and also um, has the lovely Essex clay. Um, Okay. So some of the sort of things that practically you can actually look at, perhaps within a regional aspect, is obviously, therefore, use of material, plant material, that actually is associated with your climate and trying to actually then utilise such reports and thoughts about actually thinking about the future as much as possible uh, with your planting. But also one of the key elements that we have done is uh, coming back to this sort of water uh, aspect, is, is the fact that actually we, when we actually took hold of the farm uh, that was... Uh, uh, had started as a sort of farm and uh, been sort of transformed a little bit by the Robinson family from the 1950s into a garden we actually the RHS was handed this in 1993 and one of the first things that we actually did was use the farms um, already uh, established a sort of um, underground water drainage system to actually then uh, link it to a reservoir that we actually built where we have ten point one million gallons of water that we can actually use in helping us to still obviously you know uh, deal with uh, dry periods and dry times but uh, uh, you know it is definitely also that whole aspect of extremes that is going on with our weathers um, this February uh, we had storm doris come through through the country and w- even though we're actually a relatively young garden and uh, all gardens, especially public gardens, are really facing that sort of storm aspect and what happens with trees and therefore having to close gardens and that's obviously not necessarily a, a great thing. So, you know, it's it's that sort of impact and uh, aspect that's really sort of challenging us. Uh, coming back to the soils, I think the big thing with soils is, is the fact that actually perhaps you're trying to look at ways of actually being more creative with utilizing more humus more grit perhaps if you're on that clay area in order to create a bit more of that drainage that's that's sort of needed and a lot of our sort of plant material coming back to the dry garden the dry garden was actually uh, first done back in 2003 uh, because we're in such a dry area um, the, the dry garden really was, you know, is, is based a lot on Mediterranean type plants that need that free draining soil as well.
0: So, if I can ask you what kind of uh, changes that the people at Hyde Hall have seen and you specifically have seen over the last few years and, and what extreme weather conditions you've seen and, and how you're going about planning for those in future.
3: Certainly, what we have been experiencing is so, last, or, uh, actually, last year, last June. Um, we had something in the region of 144 mil of rain fall in that period uh, of the month, um, and actually 47 mil fall within seven hours, wow. and it meant that we actually had flash flooding across site because being on the um, sort of clay situation, it doesn't sink in, it doesn't permeate, it just runs off. Yeah and therefore um around our visitor building actually we oh, nice. had this huge massive flood <laughs> um which was yeah at least it didn't uh, go into the building but it's that sort of thing that we actually have to be therefore really quite conscious of and actually um our car parks we did actually build with swales just to make sure that actually we're retaining the water for a period of time before releasing it and making sure then we have our drainage systems put in place in order to get that uh, water uh, as as quickly uh, you know draining away as we possibly can one of the things that we've actually looked at is a permeable sort of surface that's used Uh, Around the visitor building just is therefore making sure that that water is actually seeping through as much as it possibly can to the drainage systems That have been put underneath so it's those sort of sort of things that I think people have to, to sort of think about but also let's not just forget that actually plants help in Making sure that we're not having flash flooding around by putting plants in place you're actually allowing for that slowing process, as it were, of water going through the ground, just because, obviously, they're using it uh, within their, you know, yeah. the mass, uh, as it were. So, you know, I think it's it's really important that we're actually looking at that particular aspect. Um, winds and things like that are, are a challenge. I think it's the fact that, for us, what we have to do is, is perhaps y- utilize trees that, uh, in the landscape, that are perhaps actually can I say, a bit more flexible, yeah? Okay. Um, but also, I think it's the fact that we, as a public garden, therefore, have to f- look at uh, monitoring our trees a lot more, uh, A, after storms, but on a yearly basis, because of this, you know, the potential of wind uh, damage and all of that. Um, and also, I think, uh, w- w- sort of, probably the other aspect is, is plants are actually really quite adaptable I've always felt this is the fact that actually you can put them in a situation and actually they will tolerate to a degree with extremes. so um, You know, let's not forget that plants can be You know adaptable within an environment that are actually given but the best thing is is the fact that if we can actually I suppose nurture them to a a way that actually they've got strong growth you know basically I, I suppose with plants is the fact that the healthier and the better that we look after them the more chances they've got of obviously tolerating extremes that are going on and then the other aspect that just sort of put into sort of place with this and one of the things that I sort of have in the back of my head that I kind of worry about a little bit is actually pest and disease so with the change in the environment and temperature and all of that sort of thing, and wet conditions and stuff like that, there are certain sort of pests and diseases that will, um, obviously, you know, take advantage of that because it's beautiful for their conditions that they need, and actually then will cause us perhaps uh, more more concern. Um, just give you a, an example there: the fuchsia gall mite, um, that's actually now within the sort of southeastern part of Britain. As we warm, perhaps actually, it's going to tra- be able to travel further up north. Was
0: was that not here before? Uh, it's a re- it is a
3: recent introduction. Um, I th- I can't remember exactly when it was. It was two thousand eleven, maybe something like that, um, that was first discovered. Yeah, oh. um, but it is you know it, it, a common plant that's actually grown within our gardens um, mm. is is in the southeast region becoming more and more yeah yeah infested with it as Mm -hmm. it were and it's that sort of thing that's actually a bit of doom and gloom but you know like with all of these things there are sometimes actually resistant cultivars that are coming out because of this that you can actually utilize within your garden yeah in order to sort of help at least uh, tolerate that sort of uh, sort of situation Um, sudden oak death which was very much sort of prevalent uh, especially in the sort of uh, s- southwest and going through our rhododendron collections. Uh, this is a-, a disease that's actually uh, from America. And with that, it is a uh, Phytophthora, which is uh, loves that whole humidity and wetness and all of that. Um, so the more wet aspects that we get within our country, perhaps actually that's easier to then become a lot more prevalent.
0: Right. So we've been talking a lot about what um, you guys how you guys advise private gardeners and and then how you manage larger public gardens but does any of the the work that you do feed into government policy for example
2: um, yes so we did the as i said earlier we, we launched the gardening and changing climate report this year and at that launch event we had baroness brown who is the chair of the independent body that is totally dedicated to advising government on all things climate change adaptation related. Um, she's been a strong supporter of, of the work since since the onset of it. Um, and she actually sort of um, has a role to play in the next national adaptation program, which is launched every five years. So the work we're doing with climate change is going to help inform that. And that will feed then directly into other Government policies, so that's something that we're doing. Fantastic. Yeah, and I think um,
3: going back also onto the sort of plant health aspect, we've got really strong, close links actually with the government department, AFA, which is the Animal Plant Health Authority, um, and actually. Links in the sense of we work closely with their sort of regional coordinators in a promoting or helping them promote um, Any particular plant health issues that they want to make the public aware of and all of that sort of thing Um, but also um, Just the sort of other side of things is the fact that working closely with them because obviously the Royal Horticultural Society is heavily involved in many ways, not just necessarily their gardens, but within shows um, and you know many other areas. That actually, it's really important that we understand and we work closely in order to help us and gardeners throughout the country um, sort of work with you know potential issues that are
0: coming up. Brilliant. Thanks very much for your time today. Um, I'm sure that the, the crowd downstairs will enjoy your session this afternoon. So if people want to find out more about the RHS, it's rhs.org.uk. Thanks very much.
2: Thank you.
3: Thank you very much.
0: So yeah, that was quite a detailed uh, interview, or some, certainly some detailed information in there. Um, give us some more information about these events that we're holding
1: So we're planning three events next year um, jointly with the RHS again to go out and to try and take that message from the Gardening in a Changing Climate report that was launched earlier this year. So the first event is going to take place in Manchester on the 15th of March and it's during Science Week so we're working with uh, the Manchester Metropolitan University MMU uh, to host this event on Thursday the 15th of March. Um, and again, it'll be a chance to meet some of the people um, that we had at Weather Live who will be presenting um, their their own findings from, from the report itself, but also a panel discussion. So it really allows those that are attending to kind of get that question and answer. If you've got any thoughts yourself and you want to come along then that's the 15th of March at MMU in Manchester the second event is going to take place in June in Bristol and there'll be more information about when and where the event's going to take place as we kind of move into 2018 so watch this space for that one and the third event will be in the autumn so probably October time and we're looking at that taking place in Birmingham again more information on the Society's website I'd suggest if you want to find out more about these events or anything to do with weather and gardening, then please visit www.armets.org forward slash gardening.
0: Great. Thanks very much for listening. I should say that there are two other podcasts where we look back on Weather Live, so check those out. There's a good uh, interview with Michael Fish uh, and a couple of other, well, Peter Gibbs and Ed Eichen. Uh, And there's another one about photography, which is also uh, really interesting. So yeah, check those out. Um, thanks very much for listening. I will see you again.
1: Yeah, thank you. Any feedback about these podcasts, then please do get in touch. Um, we want to find out more. And as we mentioned, which we, tr- we need to find a name for this podcast Eventually service. it will get a name, yeah. So yeah, any suggestions, please send tweet them in.
0: Thanks very much.